At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers. But sometimes, navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. morning we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 7 verses 29 through 35. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can hold ahead and grab a seat. While you do, I invite you, if you do have a Bible near you, to join me in the passage I just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. While you're finding that, um, I just want to take a moment and uh, and just uh, introduce myself. I've already been introduced, but I'm Jacob. I'm the Farmington Hills campus pastor, as you heard, and I'm really just thankful for the opportunity to be here. I'm thankful for any opportunity I get to be uh, with our larger Woodside family. Um, I'm especially be thankful in Plymouth, and I was just actually reflecting. I was sitting in the front row. Plymouth always holds a unique place in my heart because this was the very first campus of Woodside that I ever laid eyes on. When I drove up from Akron, Ohio, almost four years ago, my wife and I, this was the first place we came to. We met Pastor Jeremy and Stephanie, and, uh, and God took it from there. So it always holds a unique space in my heart. I'm thankful for your campus pastor. I'm thankful um, for you guys and, and just our larger church family. And so I'm really excited to, to get the opportunity uh, to, to uh, proclaim God's word this morning with you. And so... Um, this morning, we're kicking off a series called uh, Asking for a Friend. And uh, a couple months ago, we surveyed our larger Woodside family to, and, and kind of asked, what are the questions on your heart and mind about God, Scripture, things different? And we, we kind of gathered a whole bunch of questions, gathered those into some categories. And uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be just exploring some of those questions together and looking at what Scripture has to say about some of these things. And this morning, we're going to look at what does God's Word have to say about singleness? So uh, it was one of those comments that kind of hit me in the face. Uh, I was sitting in my office talking to a member of our church family, and we were discussing a recent teaching that I had given. And at one point, she just made kind of the comment and observation 
She said, you know, I've noticed that in a lot of your preaching, a lot of times you draw your illustrations and your kind of applications from both your marriage or from having kids, and, and it kind of comes up quite a bit. She said, I've just been struggling because I'm single, and I don't know always, I don't plan on being married right now, I don't have any kids, I, I'm not always sure, like, why does it always seem like when you apply God's word, that's the lens through, uh, through which you go? And immediately, I'll be honest, my immediate thought was to get defensive, like to be like, that's not true. I try to talk to everybody when I teach, right? Like, um, but the more I reflected, I, I realized that that was often the lens through which I approached things and approached God's word in a lot of ways. Now, part of that is I had good reason for it. I've never really been, for most of my adult life, single. I met my wife my freshman year of college. We got married three years later, and I've been married now for 16 years. So my lens has primarily, personally, been through that. Early on, when I started ministry, one of the very first responsibilities that I was given early on marriage was overseeing a marriage ministry for a church and so I had to spend a lot of time thinking about how do we help people do this marriage thing? That was where a lot of my thought and my focus had gone. But suddenly, as I sat across from this woman and she asked me this question, I realized I didn't have a lot or a great framework on what scripture had to say about singleness. I mean, I knew kind of vaguely, but like I really hadn't thought deeply. And I think oftentimes, and I think my experience, my reality, is not entirely unique. When we surveyed the congregation and asked questions that were on your heart and our larger Woodside family's heart, one of the main questions that we continued to come up time and time again was the issue of singleness and what God had to say about it. Here, I just want to show you just a few of the kind of top questions that we got. These are direct quotes from questions we got. Why does it feel like the church idolizes marriage and having kids? Is that really the end goal? How can I practice being content, satisfied in my singleness, even though I have a strong desire for marriage? How do I know if God is calling me to a life of singleness? What is one thing singles should be doing in this season of their life that they aren't? Why does Woodside never talk about singles or singleness at any age? Half your congregation is single, yet you only talk about being married or having kids or family. So as you can see, there were a lot of questions. I could, I could have gone on and on, but there were a, a lot of questions around this issue. And I think it's something that our church family has been wrestling with. What does the scriptures really have to say or teach us about this reality? Because the truth is, the truth is, not every single one of us will be married. But every single one of us will be single. No one is born married. So you experience singleness at some point in your life. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But I think all of us have to deal with, well, what, is, what does it look like then to live in that place of life? How do I approach that? How do I think about that? If that's something we're all going to face, how should I think about singleness? Well, I think the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 gives us both a helpful framework for singleness and a helpful encouragement to how, if we're single, we can embrace that reality. 
The letter of 1 Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth, a major city in Greece. And this church is a hot mess. They got all sorts of issues. And Paul writes them a letter to deal with all their issues. And if you read through 1 Corinthians, he hits topic after topic after topic to kind of help give guidance to this church that's struggling with a lot of different things. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he deals with the issue of marriage and singleness. And as he addresses that issue, he says this, and this is kind of where I want to launch from this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, Paul says, Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am. When he says that, Paul's referencing to the reality that he's not married. And then he says this, But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, and one of another. So in this context, Paul's addressing both the issue of marriage and singleness. And he kind of emphasizes singleness here, and and we'll see why he does that in a moment. He says, I wish that all myself were as I am. But as he does that, he then gives his major framework, though, for how he thinks of both marriage and singleness. And he essentially says that they are gifts from God, that they're gifts from God. God, and that each one is given, one kind and one of one kind and one of another. I love that phrase, gift. We we can't see it in the English as readily and easily, but in the original language in the Greek, that word is actually built out of the root for grace. The Greek word for grace is charis. The word for gift is charisma. It's something that comes out of grace, an undeserved benefit or blessing that comes. What Paul's trying to help you see is that both single and marriage and both singleness and marriage are gifts that God gives out of his grace. Now, this morning we're going to focus on singleness, right? And so what I think Paul's going to help us to see that I want you to catch is that singleness is actually a gracious gift of God. Singleness is a gracious gift of God. Now, you might already be thinking, okay, how is singleness a gift? Right? For those of you that are single, you might be thinking, it doesn't feel like a gift sometimes. And, and what do I do if I feel like I'm single, but I don't know if I want to be? And does that mean I don't have the gift? And I think there's all sorts of questions that kind of come around this reality of the fact that singleness is a gracious gift of God. So I think as we recognize this framework of singleness as a gift, there's a couple things that are helpful for us to kind of put into place. One, we need to remember that what Paul is not saying is that singleness is a gift and marriage isn't, nor vice versa. Marriage is not a gift and singleness isn't. They are both gifts. They're on equal footing in the terms of what God graciously gives to his people. Now the natural question is like, well then what gift do I have? Well recognizing they're both our gifts means whatever your relational reality is right now, that's the gift you have. So this isn't, oh, well I'm single, maybe I have the gift of marriage. No, no, no. What you have right now is the gift of singleness. And if you're married, then you have the gift of marriage. And that doesn't mean you can't shift. God might lead you towards that. But what it means is whatever your present reality, that's the gift. That's where you're at. 
And so we need to see both of these realities as gifts, but specifically for our context today, to recognize that marriage is a gift. And when we do that, it helps us put singleness in the right lens. One, I think unintentionally, you heard it in the questions, unintentionally, it can get translated or communicated that somehow the goal of life is marriage. But if singleness is a gift and marriage is a gift, how, how is one a goal and not one the other? No, that, that's, a, that's the wrong framework. Th- these are gifts God gives, and we're going to see why he gives it in a moment. Second, if we recognize that it's a gift, if you're single, that means that your singleness is not due to some deficiency in you. Again, I think that's a false narrative that often gets translated. That if you're married, you're somehow okay. And if you're not, there's some kind of deficiency. But if, but if singleness is a gracious gift, then at the end of the day, your singleness has nothing or communicates nothing about your worth, your value, your sanctification, your maturity. It means God has given you something and he's given you something for his purposes. So if they're both gifts, they both need to be embraced and they both need to be affirmed. But even in recognizing that and recognizing singleness as a gift, I think a natural question that can come up is, well, why does God give singleness then? Especially amidst some of the challenges we know we face for those of you that are single. Why would God give this gift? And I think what Paul knows that this is a tension for his audience to recognize not only that singleness is a gift, but it's actually a gift God gives for some really specific purposes. And so this morning, as we dig into 1 Corinthians 7, you're going to see, I think, three reasons that Paul wants to help highlight for us of why God gives the gift of singleness. The first one comes in verse 25. So Paul kind of leaves his kind of framework. He deals a little bit with marriage to living as they're called. And in verse 25, he really comes back to this issue of singleness. And as he deals with it, he begins to show the Corinthians some of the blessings that God gives in this gift of singleness that he gives to some people. The first thing that he reminds them is, is that singleness avoids certain worldly troubles. Look at 1 Corinthians 7.25. Now, concerning the betrothed, so when Paul's talking about the betrothed, just to to help you set the context and framework, in, in his day and age, it was very different from our day and age in a lot of ways. When it came to marriages, most marriages in the Greco Roman world were arranged marriages. So it was, and for all sorts of reasons, some of them were political affiliation, some of them were social economic reasons, there were all sorts of reasons, but often they were arranged. And when they were arranged in marriage, there was usually a time where people, kind of similar to our engagement, but a little bit firmer, there would be a legal process where a man and woman would be legally betrothed, but they were not yet joined in marriage. And then they would prepare and they would join in marriage. So when Paul's talking about those who are betrothed, he's talking about people who have a certain commitment towards relationship but have not finalized that commitment. In our day and age, we don't do arranged marriages. So if you're going to put it in our context, this is likely people who are dating or engaged. So they're on the way to marriage, but they haven't been married yet. So technically, we would see them, and Paul sees them in this context, they're still single, right? You're single until you're married. 
But they're in this kind of process. And what Paul wants to help them is to frame, is it okay to get married? Should I do that or should I stay single? What, what is this? And he kind of wants to help them see, well, well, let's look at some of these benefits of singleness. So this is what he says. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul's not like, I, I can't, I'm not going to give you a firm command here, but out of my wisdom as an apostle, I want to guide you in how you think about this reality of singleness. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Right? So, so here's Paul. He's trying to give his wisdom. And he essentially says, if you're not married... I think it might be best to stay not married. And if you are married, don't, don't try to get out of your marriage. But even if you do marry, it's, it's okay, right? He's, he's recognizing the relational complexity. But again, now he moves into the benefit, though, of singleness. Look at the next phrase. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So Paul recognizes the challenge this church is facing in its culture, the distress that's coming, and he essentially says, hey, Part of the reason why I would encourage some of you to stay single is because you will avoid certainly worldly, certain worldly troubles that come with marriage. Now, Paul doesn't then give a list. He doesn't give us specifics to say, here are all the troubles of marriage that you avoid. He kind of leaves that general for them to understand what that means in their context. And I think it's helpful for us because I think there's different things and different uh, challenges that we both face as singleness in marriage in the culture that we find ourselves. But what Paul wants to help you see is there are certain challenges to marriage that in singleness you actually avoid. That, that that's actually a benefit of why God might gift you singleness is to avoid some of those challenges. Again, the specifics aren't in view. But I think what he wants to see is in light of the present challenge that we should recognize why God might gift the benefit to some of singleness. Sam Alberry, who's a pastor and editor for the Gospel Coalition, discusses this reality in his book, Seven Myths of Singleness. Sam has lived his entire adult life as a single man. And he notes in his book some of the woes that can come with the reality of marriage. He discusses the reality of the struggles in relationship that happen in marriage, sometimes the struggles with children, that marriage brings both blessing and challenges, just like singleness does. And this is one of the things that he gives this helpful piece of advice that I think goes along with what Paul is saying here. He says this at one point in the book. The temptation for many who are single is to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And the temptation for some married people is to compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness, which is equally dangerous. The grass will often seem greener on the other side. Whichever gift we have, marriage or singleness, the other can easily seem far more attractive. I think one of the myths that he highlights really here is that somehow marriage is that ideal and singleness isn't. 
And unfortunately, because that's kind of inherent in the culture a little bit, especially if we're not careful, the culture of the church, then, then what happens is we look at singleness and we only focus on the challenges and we compare those to the blessings of marriage. And we're like, oh, well, life is really only experienced at its best if I'm married. But what Paul's trying to say is that's not true. Marriage brings blessing and challenges. Singleness brings blessing and challenges. Don't just compare the blessings of one with the challenges of the other. Recognize, yes, you face challenges, but also recognize the blessings that are inherent in the gift that God has given you. If you're single, have you taken time to recognize that some of the blessings that come from being single some of the things that might be a benefit that God has given you or certain things that you avoid. And even if you're married, that's a good practice too. Sometimes it's good for us to step back and reflect for a moment. What is good here? What, what is, if these are both gifts, what are things inherent in this reality that are blessings that God has given me? I think if we ask that question and we see some of the things that God has given, some of the even things we avoid, we then will approach our gift with a heart of gratitude, not a heart of comparison, thinking that's better than this. Both are gifts, and singleness avoids certain worldly troubles. But even as Paul recognizes that, he also wants to help you see that singleness doesn't just avoid certain things, it actually enables some really important things. Look what he says next in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, and then catch this phrase, it's key, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You see, what Paul wants to help us understand, again, is not that the gift of singleness doesn't just entail freedom from a negative reality. It actually empowers and frees us for a positive reality, which is an undivided devotion to Christ. To highlight this, Paul compares the married life with the single one. And he essentially says the married person cannot give sole focus and their undivided attention to Christ because they also must care for their spouse. So there's a dual focus that's inherent in marriage. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, Christ is still Lord, but... There's a complexity to how you live married life in order to both honor the Lord and love your spouse. The single person doesn't have that complexity. That's what Paul's trying to say. The single person has a simplicity to their life that enables them to be focused on the Lord and pleasing him. Right? His whole point of comparison here is to help you see that the simplicity of singleness is meant to empower devotion. It's a singleness does. It has a certain element of simplicity. I was reminded of this, even though I've been married. I was reminded of this a couple weekends ago because um, I got to uh, take a guy's trip 
my favorite band was playing down, or one of my favorite bands was playing uh, back-to-back shows down outside of Indianapolis a couple weeks ago. And a couple buddies and I planned a trip to go down and, and see them. And, uh, and it was a great weekend. And I was away from my family for the weekend. And one of the things I realized was how simple it was. Like, as I was on that trip, when, when we stopped for food, you know who I didn't have to think about when it came to food? My kids. I could eat what I want and order where I want and stop where I wanted to eat. Because I didn't have to think about feeding four other people. I just thought about feeding me. When I wanted to go to bed, I went to bed. When I wanted to wake up, I woke up. When I went to the concert, I don't have to worry if my kids had enough water, if they had sunscreen, or if they were happy, or if they were hot. I could just enjoy. There was a certain simplicity to my reality in that moment. And I thought, wow, single people get this all the time? But that's my point. My point is not to, to, to glamorize singleness over marriage or marriage over singleness. My point is only to show there is a certain simplicity. And, and Paul's trying to help you see that. That that simplicity is part of the gift because that simplicity helps empower an undivided devotion. It gives you the ability to serve Christ in unique ways as a single adult that married people cannot. And that's a gift. I mean, I think there's probably no better illustration of this than the Apostle Paul himself. Right? He, he says multiple times in this passage, he, he, he recognizes his singleness and that gift that it is in the way that he lives. And if you think about the, the Apostle Paul's ministry, which arguably one of the greatest missionaries in history for Jesus. But Paul would not have had the ministry that he had without the gift that God had given him in his singleness. Paul traveled constantly, constantly, and, and, and in, to all over the known world at the time. His visits were sporadic, everything from spending three weeks in one city like he did in Thessalonica to a year and a half in Ephesus. He faced persecution, imprisonment, shipwreck, challenge, all sorts of things. And yet, he could have done none. I don't think Paul could have done any of those things if marriage was the gift that God had given him. His singleness was a gift for the sake of ministry that God had called him to. He was able to be solely divided on the work that God had called to be the apostle to the Gentiles because of the gift. And so there is an undivided devotion. Now, at this point, you might be thinking like, okay, that's great, but that's like the apostle Paul, Jacob. Like, you know. What about me? I'm not on that radar. Well, I think God gives you similar opportunities. Well, let me introduce you to my friend, Lauren. I wish I could introduce you to her in person. But she's one of my great reminders of this in, in my life. My wife and I have known Lauren for almost 20 years. We met in college. And she's been a dear friend of our family and a, a close friend of my wife's for many years. And Lauren has remained unmarried throughout her entire life. And so we've walked with Lauren for many years through the journey of singleness. And what I've watched over time is Lauren continue to use singleness not as an excuse, but actually as an opportunity to serve Christ. For instance, Lauren's a teacher, so she has uh, her summers free. And when our church started a ministry, or this is my previous church before here, started a ministry working to help educate deletes, which are the lowest caste system in India, 
Lauren, recognizing the freedom that she had, began to give up large chunks of her summers to travel over to India to stay for weeks at a time to help encourage and train the teachers, especially the female teachers that were helping do this work. She recognized she had the time and the ability, and she invested it in the Lord. Lauren, obviously being single, not having a family, recognized that there was an inherent aspect at times of wanting community and connection. So several years ago, she started this, uh, I forget what she called it now, but um, she started these Friday night dinners where she decided she wanted to empower community with others. So she would pick five or six random people from walks of life that she knew, some she barely knew, and just invite them to dinner to share their stories. Christians, non-Christians, different faith backgrounds, different educational levels, just to create an opportunity for people to connect, to start to deepen relationship. Because she realized, I have a Friday night free, and I want to spend it with people. So she started to use that as an opportunity. She served our family on countless occasions, caring for my kids, and has been a vital part of their lives when when we lived back in Akron before we moved to Michigan. And so when I think of Lauren... Oftentimes, she becomes a great example of someone who looked at her life and said, how can I use the opportunity of what God has given me in both my time and resources for the sake of Christ? If you're single, you have that incredible opportunity that both in your time and your resources, you have an undivided devotion. Like, th- think of your time. One of, one of the bonuses, within reason, I'm careful, I'm not saying, but like within reason, in singleness, you're able to do what you want when you want. Not entirely, right? I'm, be careful. But, I, but I, there's a certain freedom there. When, when it comes to your resources, you have the ability to spend what you want, how you want to spend it. Within reason, I know. The, but, but there's a certain simplicity to your life. The question is, do you see that simplicity as an opportunity to have undivided devotion and the unique opportunity that you can serve the kingdom of God? That's what Paul's trying to say. You've been given the simplicity because you can be undividedly devoted at that point. You can do things that married people cannot do. And that's a gift. That's a gift of the Lord to be used for his kingdom, to advance the gospel, to serve others, to model the reality of Christ in a unique way. And so singleness becomes this incredible opportunity. But even as Paul helps us see how singleness can avoid certain troubles and enable us to experience that level of devotion, as, as he draws kind of this section to a close, I think he, he highlights really one more key aspect of this gift. Look what he says in verse 35, 6, sorry, verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, But having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. See, what Paul, I think, wants to remind us as he draws this kind of section to a close is that singleness 
one of the gifts and parts of the gifts is that it experiences God's empowering grace. That, that's the reality of all gifts, but that's part of the gift of singleness. Paul, Paul now kind of brings up, as he closes, he brings up a challenge that kind of might arise from his desire for people to, as he said earlier, remain as they are. And he basically brings up the issue of sexual desire. Right From the very beginning, he said, I want people to be content with the gift as God that has for them. If, if you're in this place, the desire is that you would remain there and be content. But what do you do if you find yourself in a place where you're betrothed, you're desiring, you're moving towards a relationship, and there's this desire for sexual intimacy with that person? Right? So sex and sexual desire has always been an issue when it comes to singleness. That, that's not a 21st century issue. That, that's an issue from the very beginning. And, and Paul's trying to address it here to help you understand how you need to relate to that in whatever the reality, especially within this gift of single, singleness. And his essential point is that when it comes down to it, it's a matter of desire and self-control. N- notice the contrast here. The contrast is between those who are not behaving properly. They're lacking self-control or finding an extremely strong passion for the other person. That's contrasted with the person who is firmly established in their gift and have that desire under control. That doesn't mean that you would never struggle sexually or never have a desire for marriage. But what Paul's trying to recognize is those who live in singleness in the place of God's empowering grace find a growing contentment in that reality to live from. They continue to experience God empower them for the gift and place that he has called them. For Paul, right, there's not a wrong way to live when it comes to singleness and marriage. To marry is to do well, and to remain single is to do well. He even says it's better in this context. So if both are fine, what is he driving at then? in this contrast and what he's pointing towards. I think that his point is this, that whatever gift God has given you, he also gives you the gift to embrace that. So if he's given you the gift, remember, wherever you're at right now is the gift you've been given. God gives you the power to embrace that. So the starting point is to seek to embrace the gift And if we find ourselves in that place where we cannot seem to find the grace to be content in that place, Paul says, then that might be an indication that God might be leading you elsewhere. But that's not the starting point. The starting point is the pursuit of God's empowering grace for contentment in your reality to exhibit that and let God lead you from there. See, I I think, I mean, the the question, this is why I think Paul's so delicate in this passage, because I think oftentimes those questions come naturally, like, well, if I'm single, but I I desire to be married, what should I do? How how do I navigate this? And Paul doesn't come and say, hey, hey, here's the command. If you're single, stay single. You have to. You can't get married. Right? Or, no, you need to get married. What he's trying to say is, no, 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 either way, see these both as gifts. The question is, Have you sought the grace of God in that reality and sought his contentment to speak to you out of the place that he might be leading and calling you? He's trying, I think he's trying to draw the focus back 
to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what both gifts are about. They're gifts that are given to glorify Christ and the gospel, which is why we pursue contentment in them. It's why we pursue the Lord's grace in them. Because the gifts aren't about themselves, and at the end of the day, they're not even really about you. They're about the Lord and how he wants to use your life for the sake of his kingdom. Because he's the point of everything. And so when we see these both as gifts, what we need to recognize is both are avenues to display the reality of the gospel. I think, again, Sam Alberry is so helpful here when he writes this. Both marriage and singleness testify to the gospel. Marriage shows us the shape of the gospel and that it models the covenant promises that God has made to us in Christ. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel because it shows us the reality of what marriage points to, which is our relationship with Jesus. See, they're both gifts. They just display the reality of God in different ways. Yeah, marriage shows us the shape. It shows us Christ's love for his church and the church's response to Christ. But singleness shows us the ultimate point, which is to find our full sufficiency and satisfaction in Christ alone. That's ultimately what we're designed for, whether you're married or not. That's what God's created us for, to find our full joy, our full purpose, our full identity, and our full satisfaction in him. And to know that that's true, you need to look no farther than our Savior himself. That the very Son of God, the divine second person of the Trinity, would take on flesh and become a human to show us what the fullness of humanity was. And he never married. He never sought marriage. He never engaged in sexual activity. He lived his full life as a single adult and yet found his full identity, value, worth, and sufficiency in the Father. Singleness shows us where our true sufficiency is found, which is in God alone. And this is why single people and those that pursue the gift and grace of singleness become a massive and important testimony in the church. Because you show us what that sufficiency is like. By pursuing Christ with undivided devotion, you remind us, those of us who are married, where our true heart should lie, which is not ultimately to make an idol out of our kids or our family or our spouse, but to pursue Christ with abandonment. You're a powerful witness and an important part of the kingdom because you display something of the gospel that I cannot. And that's a gift and an opportunity. And my hope and heart for you today is that you would continue to see that gift and take that opportunity, that God would continue to use your life in unique and powerful ways for the sake of the kingdom so at the end of the day, God gets all the glory that he is due out of your life and out of mine because that's what this whole thing is about. And so I pray you see the gift and I pray you pursue the opportunity. And I pray that's true for all of us. In fact, let me pray for us right now. Father, thank you so much that you truly are all satisfying. That you have created us for yourself. And as Augustine reminded us so long ago, that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. 
God, we recognize that we were designed, that our full satisfaction, our full identity, our entire lives were meant to be centered on you, to enjoy the love that only you can provide to our souls and to respond with lives of love back. And yeah, Lord, we, we recognize we fall so, so short of that all the time, whether we're married, whether we're single, how easy it is to find and seek to find satisfaction in things far less than you. We're sorry for that, Lord. Help us, even today, to renew our hearts and our commitment to trusting and loving you above all things, to pursuing our full satisfaction in you. Whether we're single, whether we're married, wherever we find ourselves, would you help us to make you the goal and the point of our lives once again? Even now, as we prepare to sing this song of response, this call that, that we will build our lives upon your love, I pray that you would use it as an opportunity for us together this morning to just declare that, that we want to build our lives, not upon something else, something less than you. So would you make yourself the focus, and would you stir our love for you, even in this moment, we ask. And we ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.